Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Surf tunes of five o five o e a u x book them Dono. My buddy John Tiki on guitar there. John Tiki. John Tiki. That's 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 got to. I mean, that's the name that's got to warm your heart. It's a lot like Don Tiki. Don Tiki. With, with John. The John. Tiki. Did his mom yeah. think of that, or you know, his parents sat around and said, "You know, we're gonna have a son." Oh yeah, his his father's name was uh, Maui, and his mother's name was Kauai. No, no, I'm just making okay, that up. Yeah. <laughs> I had a moment. Uh, I had an anxiety attack there, just just from like Dweezil, you know. Yeah, no, he's he's too old. He's more of the hippie generation than. Uh, so he's older than we are. Is is it? Yeah. Okay. He's, he's uh, mid sixties. We're we're, we're the post hippie side of that booming boomer generation. Yeah, you know, I'm just confused. Yeah. Because well, you are. You're you're younger than I am. I, I was talking to Paul about this the other day because my parents were kind of of the greatest generation. My dad was born in 1930. Yeah, my mom was thirty four, so you know they're they're kind of on the tail like end that. of the greatest generation. I don't kind like of thing. that and, phrase, and the greatest generation. Well, I mean, they were I, they were good, but were they great? Whatever you want to call them, that's just the phrase. You know, I, don't know. I mean, I think back to my parents, my uncles and aunts, and they were pretty good. Would I call them great? No, I they're they're good. The the uh, let's see, pre, they got to the moon. Pre boomers. Would that be good? No, they're 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 war generation. They're post depression. Okay. They're post post depression. Well, World they, War they're depression horrific, babies. Actually, horrific, horrific childhood for yeah, a lot of much, them. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of them were depression. My mom grew up in in Germany during the war. I mean, you know, that it's not. The My mom easiest. had seven sisters, a dirt floor shack in Springfield, outside of Springfield, Missouri. They didn't even have an outhouse. They they had a log. Oh I, no! <laughs> yeah. And my grandfather bailed out when my mom was about five. So wow, you had my grandmother raising seven girls by themselves in serious hillbilly country. Wow! And it's amazing that uh, my mom is uh, only as broken as she is. <laughs> Your mom's pretty cool, <laughs> except for her love for Thomas Kincaid. Yeah. She's otherwise. There, there is that. There is always that special relationship between a mom and her sons and though. her Kincaids. And her Kincaid. <laughs> Absolutely. She's a sweet lady. So though. anyway, Paul and I were trying to figure this out because technically I am the last year of the boom, 64. Is that what it is? You know, my wife and I were trying to figure out where the tail end that, of that that's is. 60. Seems, who decides this? Them. Them. Who? Uh, they? That's like a club? They, them. Them. 
They decide. They decide, yeah. yes. And I uh, hate them. So here I am, technically a boomer. Yeah, uh, but not really. And my parents were of the generation of many boomers, because my oldest brother is serious. I mean, he's nine years older than me, so he's... When was he born? 55. Yeah, that's... So he, he's total That's card-carrying. Yeah, and, and so I'm raised in this kind of boomer environment age, yet I'm kind of... Yeah. Uh, uh, Buster, but uh, I, I'm once again no man's land. You know, it's like being a Lutheran. You're, you're untimely born. You're just Protestant, like Saint Paul. Yeah, being a Lutheran, you're Protestant and Catholic, but neither at the yeah, same time. Yeah, and you therefore, know, like, yeah. nobody invites you to the party, or if you show up, nobody wants to talk to you. Yeah, so you know now maybe you understand a little more about my confusion in life. <laughs> well, I share that. You know, I was talking to my wife because she was born October '56. I was born March '57, and every time I try to play my boomer card, I get rebuffed by real boomers. No, you're not. You didn't go to Woodstock. You didn't go to Vietnam. You know, you didn't get. You didn't have to. I didn't even have to register for the draft. So you're reminded you don't belong. Okay, yeah. yeah. You didn't have to. Re- I had to register for the draft. You didn't have to I, register. No, there for was. The draft. There was. I, I looked into it, and there was. There was a suspension of registration for wow. a, a window, and and then then they reopened it again. You're but without papers. I'm without papers. I do have a social security number, but that's really about it. But yeah, it, it's just one of those one of those deals. And they wouldn't want me now anyway. So it's. Just, just how it goes. I think if you look at, um, if you look look this up. Let's see. Woodstock was sixty nine. Yeah. August of sixty nine. Yeah. The summer was that the summer of love. I don't know if it was the summer of love, but <laughs> there was, that was the summer of mud. So I was I was five years old. Yeah. So you know I could have been at Woodstock if I had hippie parents. You could have been at Woodstock. Yeah. Kind of running around naked. Yeah, you know, with your cousins, uh, you know, and and the whole deal. And as I understand, most of the mud was not from rain or water. <laughs> it rained. No, the weather was horrible. Okay, I, I had heard that it was no. overflow from outhouses. No, no, that, no, no, uh, no, no. It, it, was, it was horrible. But, but logistics were poor. Let's yes. put it that way. And they weren't and, expecting. Well, as the many crowd as was got. much much larger. Yeah. And and you know, this was this was at the time at a time when people thought everything was free. Max Yasger's six hundred Max Yasger farm. Max Farm. He even showed up for the event. They they had him on stage at one point. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Not that I was there, but I had the album and uh, saw the movie. And but see, I'm always reminded. You know what they call our end of the boomer generation is the Jones generation. Jones. Jones. We're the Jones. We're the Jonesers. As in, uh, as in uh, the the cult. No. Um, have you ever did you ever hear the recording from Cheech and Chong Basketball Jones? You know where oh, he yeah. sings it in a falsetto. Basketball Jones. Yeah. Well, it, in that sense of the word, that is a hankering or a craving. Right. Right. We want to be like the Boomers, but we can't, and so we're the Jonesers. You know where I I know that song from was the movie Being There. Oh, did you ever see that <laughs> no. with Peter Sellers? No, I knew it. I I remembered from the radio, and and I, this is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. But see, we're the Jonesers, so we really don't fit in. We we're we're not we're not the the next. What's the next thing after the Boomers? The I think Busters? the Busters, yeah, and then Generation X. Yeah, we're not that. We're certainly not Gen X and and all of that. So so we're kind of lost. We we want to be like our older brothers and sisters, even though I don't have older brothers and sisters, but I did. Have friends who had older brothers and sisters, and we thought they were so cool. 
and all the all the all the horrible stuff they did and uh and so we just kind of ride coattails on this boomer generation but we really don't kind of buy into some of it i didn't know jethro jethro toll was at uh at woodstock really yeah i didn't either i don't think he appeared i don't think that group appears on the Maybe, maybe no. the, uh, let's see. Oh, declined invitations. Yeah, that Sorry. sounds right. No, and, and misconnections. Bob Dylan. Oh, it was all star cast. It was amazing, amazing. Oh, the who, Bob Dylan missed it. The who, the who was there? Jeff Beck. The Doors didn't make it. I always like Zeppelin didn't make. We it. We can't the play the cut, but, but Chicago. They were there. I didn't know that they were around back then. Yeah, they no, were. They they, uh, they didn't make it. They didn't make it. Yeah. Um, Country Joe McDonald. Yeah, Country Joe. <laughs> he was awesome. Moody Blues didn't make it. No, they Frank they Zappa didn't. and the Mother of Invention didn't make it. Yeah, there was that that was that was innovative. Yeah. But, well, okay, so enough for that. What Joni Steve Mitchell didn't make it? I thought Joni Mitchell was there. I thought she did. Hmm. Oh, she was scheduled. Uh, wait, was originally slated to perform, but canceled. At the urging of her manager to avoid missing a scheduled appearance on the Dick Cavett show. <laughs> yeah, well, Woodstock, Dick Cavett, Woodstock, Dick Cavett. Uh, one's one's a sure thing. The other one is Woodstock. I remember Arlo Guthrie. That's a, that's a great. Oh cut. yeah, coming into Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, smuggling dope into uh, through LAX. But but the uh, awesome Raven didn't make it. Never heard of him. No. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so but see, we're jonesing. We're doing it right now, Basketball and and Jones. real, real boomers always always uh, point this out that I'm not, and and so you know I, I share in this this lostness. We we just we have no clue. We we don't know. We don't know who we are. How did we even get on this? I don't know. This is but this is God whispers. <laughs> I I don't know how we got on to this. Uh, I'm Craig Denofro. He's Bill Swirl. Yeah. 593, oh, 626-593-7713. Godwhispers.org. at gmail.com. Got a quick letter. You want to do it? Sure. All right. The God Whispers Mailbag brought to you by Woodstock. Maxi Asger. A guy named Evan. Dear Manly Doctors of Divinity. That's the way I like to see a letter start. I recently took a short road trip to visit my father and help him work on his house. That's noble. My wife and children stayed at home. That's a good idea. And since it was just me and my border collie, I took a risk and violated your recommendation against binge listening to the show. The dog seemed to grow more and more nervous, but she's a border collie, so that's pretty much par for the course. In contrast, not only did I seem to suffer no ill effects, but instead I felt strangely calm and at ease with the world. Wow. Mm. He should be tested. Not exactly the peace that passeth understanding, more like a disturbing yet compelling sense of tranquility that bordered on lethargy. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I, I know what he's talking about there. I feel that way a lot, usually, about this time of the afternoon. <laughs> like so many other things in this world, it passed. Anyway, on my way back home, I listened to episode 322, Strange Science. I was delighted to find it perfectly echoed a conversation my father and I had that morning before I left. I was even more delighted when Bill mentioned in passing that he had worked at BioRad. I've worked at BioRad for the past 10 years. So that's kind of, Rad, is that kind man. of awesome? Bill, I've tried to piece together when you would have been here. Yeah, I, did leave, I leave no tracks. I mean, when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm gone, nobody the remembers. The man who never was. Nobody remembers. You mentioned you were a chemist. Did you work down the chem plant? And then it goes on and on about BioRad stuff. But uh, um, anyway, 
Mentioned that the uh, president, uh, who is the owner and the the first the guy who basically um, founded Byrad, was uh, Dave Schwartz died a couple of years ago. Uh, Dave was a Dave was a character. He he was he was a, he was a true character, and uh, you know knew knew how to build a company and run it when a lot of companies came and went. It, it just that that company just kept going and going, and people stayed there forever. They, now, they loved working. What there. what is BioRad? They, they, it's really two divisions. I don't know how it is today. Um, when I worked there, they had a clinical diagnostics division that worked on uh, what has become really popular is, is um, clinical assays and tests for various things, which are becoming more and more popular. You know, there's a blood test or a pee test for just about everything now. All right, yeah. And so, you know, they, they made these diagnostic kits, these simple diagnostic kits for a lot of, uh, of pharmaceutical uh, clinical applications. And then there was a chemical division, which was the start of BioRad, if I got the history right. Uh, that it kind of got to start making um, or purifying uh, um, ion exchange resins to clean up water from nuclear reactors and, hmm. and that sort of thing. And, uh, and then branched out from there into all kinds of chromatography products and uh, then into the biochemical industry, which is where I was involved in terms of uh, protein analysis, DNA analysis. And so they, Virad's kind of an interesting company. It was kind of on the ground floor of a lot of the uh, technology waves that have come through. And so almost any biotech lab has Virad products and an instrumentation, that sort of thing. I've thought about doing that, uh, what is it, 23andMe, the genetic testing? Yeah. I, I, not just to find out you know, what my ethnic makeup is that I don't Find know Find out who about. your parents really are. Well, there's that. <laughs> I was uh, adopted. I had no idea. Little did I know that I'm actually African-American. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it could be a shocker. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, I've got... You're uh, a sharecro- sharecropper's uh, great-grandson or something, huh? <laughs> yeah, my mom's side, you never know. You know, you might be able to parlay uh, that into government money somehow. But I, also, they, they do all the testing to see what you might be allergic to, but also what kind of uh, diseases run in your family. If you want to know. Sort of thing, yeah. yeah. It's kind of, as I understand Maybe it, I'll have a mastectomy. <laughs> there are levels of of analysis, okay. So that um, what you get um, at one level is just the you know this is th- these are your people. This is you know your your five percent this and twenty four percent. But if you want the in depth genetic study, I think you have to pay more for that. And, I'm sure that yeah. And I think that doesn't kind of I don't think they just kind of give that information out wholesale because I mean you'd have people do like freaked out things if they found out they had some kind of. I, I'm not sure that that information is necessarily helpful to somebody. Well, you know, depending I depending on what it is, and there's stuff that I already know like. You know, my dad died of colon cancer. If he's Therefore, your dad. I'm, I'm at a higher risk. If he's your dad. I'm just saying. But. Yeah. yeah. If, <laughs> have you ever seen a picture of my grandmother? Uh, on, on, you should no. go on Facebook. Really? It's me and drag. It's you. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's scary. <laughs> Poor grandma. I'm feeling sorry yeah. for her. Uh, but, you know. It so was a I, hard life. I know that that's there. So I go and get my colonoscopy on a regular basis to make sure that I don't, you know, develop colon exactly. cancer. To cut it off at the pass. So. Well, I'm, I'm told in, in part. Um, the, this this information confirms what you already know. You yeah, know, the, yeah. for example, there are there are genes that 
uh, will basically ensure that your cholesterol is all messed up. So your cholesterol is messed up, and hey, you have this gene. Really? I would never have guessed. You but know? then there's also the knowledge that maybe this isn't controlled as well by diet as exactly. much as statins and so forth. I've got, a, I've got a member in my congregation who, uh, she's a, a physician's assistant, but she works at a, 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 a practice. But they practice uh, genetic uh, nutritional guidance. So they do these genetic screenings. They look for specific genes, and then they tailor diets uh, to, um, you know, better fit your actual makeup. Yeah. I mean, I that'd be cool. That'd my be my, my buddy Paul did one of those once. I guess his kids gave it to him for a birthday present or a Christmas present or something. And that's where I first heard about it. But he discovered that he was one of a uh, subset in the population that actually thrives on carbohydrates. Hmm. There is a, 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 a smaller, a small subset of the population for whom Atkins is like poison. It's not good. And they actually thrive on carbs. I wish that was me. Yeah, so do I. I know darn well that ain't me. I'm I'm losing too much weight. I need more milkshakes. Yeah, right, here. right. right. Get Got on. a carb load today. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting up out of bed this morning. Uh, no, but it. I think I think that's going to be the trend in medicine. It's already becoming the trend in cancer, where they're doing genetic uh, studies of you know the cancer cells, and right. that that gives them, they're much more intelligent and targeted. I mean, I'd like to know if I should have my ovaries removed or something like that. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, hey, the, the text for this week, anything else on this? I'm sorry. Uh, thanks for episode 322. Loves it. Not a great fan of the 30-minute format, but if it makes it easier on you, I'm more likely the, and more likely that you'll keep making shows, and I'll accept it. We have no idea what we're going to do when you move from the country. Uh, we'll do it kind of like we did in St. Louis. We'll, uh, You know what? There's there's a new service that's kind of like Skype that's supposed to be a lot more stable, and I can't think of what it's called right yeah, now. Yeah, we can't get Skype email. to work, so I mean, yeah. I'm not, but uh, we'll we'll burn that bridge when yeah, we get yeah, to we'll, it. Yeah, we'll work it out. And if worse comes to worse, there's a uh, we we used to use the brick, which was uh, I still have the access, and uh, there's a software solution for that. So if worse Sweet. comes to worse, we'll kick we'll out fi- we'll figure it out. Kick out a little money and but buy the software. I, you know, however that works. But the the God whispers have to keep whispering at some level. There's a lot more podcast noise. I know you have other podcasts yeah. with, with other people, and you yeah. know that only bothers me marginally, but. Uh, I still love you, Bill. I've I've listened to them. They're no good, but but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's Thank fine. you. Yeah, Thank you very much. Just now, you know, Mark Sell. He he would do my daily show with me on Thursdays, and he wanted to keep it going. And I said, sure, why not? So hanging on to uh, those old KFUO days before. Yeah, we'll, all hell broke we'll loose. We'll try to figure that one out also. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the, the the text for this week is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, I don't know what week this is going up. Uh, so, that's true. So, but we're going to talk about Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The text it, this it week is, or a few weeks ago. It is, it is the, the three-year lectionary text for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost this year. Right. That varies from year to year depending on date. It is the text for July 10th, 2016. Uh, but the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, Do we want to get into the lawyer standing up and all that, or just straight to the parable? Well, I think it's. I you know I don't think we need to necessarily read it, but really to talk about it a little bit because we only have about ten minutes in this truncated thirty-minute show. You can always go a few minutes. It's early. an interesting parable. Um, a lot of the conversation hinges around uh, 
who the Christ figure is, if you subscribe to the notion that every parable has to have a Christ figure. I, I don't think it does. Um, parables just teach spiritual things in, in you know, earthly analogies, but but um, generally they're, they, they're springboards for the gospel and the preaching of Christ. But, but I think the context is really important. If you don't know who the parable is said to and why Jesus said the parable, then you don't really have much of a leg up on figuring out what it means, right? Right. So as a synagogue lawyer, who uh, put Jesus to the test? See, this is already a negative spin. He's, he's testing Jesus, and he says, "What, teacher? What must I? What shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And so, it's in response to that that this parable is being spun. And so, Jesus answers the question with a question, which he always does. Good rabbinic form there, you know. What's written in the Torah? What's written in the law? Another way of saying is, what does Moses say? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and will and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you know, bravo, A plus, you know, you got it. You answered correctly, do this and you will live. So that's really the (laughs) end of scene one. So, you know, the question is, is that a satisfying answer? What must I do to inherit eternal life? In so many words, love God, love your neighbor perfectly. Give up. Do it, deliver. <laughs> but here's where it gets interesting. See, he desiring to justify himself, and this is before Lutheran, so it's before people, you know, Don's in here that justifying yourself is not a good idea here. Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, I, there, there's the kicker now. The justify himself. There's the kicker is, is, is we've got to find a way to make the law doable. And one way to make the law doable is to trim it down to size. So it's one thing to say, love God, love my neighbor. And love God, okay, yeah, that's, who doesn't love God? So that, that, that's, that's fine. But love my neighbor, well, who's my neighbor? I got to know this. You know, if the answer is everybody, then I'm, I'm sunk. Right. Right? Because, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have enough time or energy to love everybody. Um, who's my neighbor? And so now comes the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. You always go down from Jerusalem, even if you're going up. I think Jericho is higher than Jerusalem, but you go down. It's like coming down from Texas. You go up to Texas, you come down from Texas. (laughs) I've never heard that. They do. They they always talk that way. They always talk that way. Uh, He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead, or as the text says, almost dead or nearly dead, basically for all intents and purposes dead. And then, then, you know, you know the story, right? There are three guys who potentially could help. First a priest, then a Levite, and then finally a Samaritan. So you put it in today's terms, a pastor, an elder, and (laughs) nobody. And, uh, yeah, and who, what. See, and and it's kind of in descending order. Uh, You know, the priest, pillar of the community, religious example for everybody, uh, Levite, his assistant, likewise, um, you know, the epitome of religious cleanliness. And then a Samaritan, they all hated them. Kind of an ethnic minority of his day. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And and much despised. And a religious minority. Well, the different religion, actually, yeah. worshipped on a different mountain, had mm-hmm. a different version of the Torah, uh, not liked at all by the Jerusalemites or the, the, the people of Judea. And, of course, you know, as in all of Jesus' parables, where there's a Samaritan involved, the Samaritan's the hero. Now, to be fair, the priest, by, by Jewish law, 
isn't allowed to help the guy really well because he he could get blood on his hands and he's got to get to church and you know i think i think i personally think that's in the background that that he risks ritual uncleanness he's coming from jerusalem back to his hometown and if he shows up at their doorstep ritually unclean, they're going to have to go through this costly, lengthy purification process, you know, red heifer, sacrifices, washings, yada, yada. This is going to cost the town a fortune. And there may not be time after church for donuts and coffee. <laughs> it's a little bit like, you know, you're you're going to church on Sunday morning and there's a guy broken down at the side of the road, but you only have five minutes to get to church or it can't start. So, And you're the pastor. What do you do? Right. You know, and so you could reasonably rationalize, I need to get to church, that's my vocation. Um, I'll dial in a cell phone call to uh, 911, we'll get this guy some help. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, and the same with the Levite. He, too, has to maintain ritual purity. The guy is appear- apparently, you know, for all intents and purposes, dead. If he touches something that's dead, he's got the same problem. Right. Um, and the Samaritan, of course, nobody, <laughs> Samaritan didn't count. He's just a loser. He's, he's the, uh, he's the tow truck driver. He is. That's yeah. right. And, and he really, his hands are already greasy. And in, dirty. in a sense, yeah. he has no law. Right. Which makes him kind of free, which in, uh, he, he has compassion on the guy. He binds his wounds up, puts him in his, on his animal, takes him to the inn, puts down a down payment for a couple of days to denarii. And then uh, basically signs off on the bill, said whatever he, whatever he owes, I'll pay you back next time I come, you know. Kind of like putting a, an open charge on your visa and leaving and going home and t- telling your wife. And she says, you did what? You know? So so the question always arises out of this, who are we in this story? Yeah, right, right. right? Who, who are we? Who's Jesus? Who's... And uh, I want to read something I, I saw from my, my favorite Episcopal bad boy, Robert Capon, here. Um, our friend Shane posted on Facebook, so I'm going to give him credit. Uh, but, but this is on this parable. He says, to me, this is Capon writing uh, in his books on the parables, the central figure in the parable is not the Samaritan. Now, that's usually what people think. That's Jesus. He comes to rescue us in the ditch. We're the guy in the ditch. And he comes to rescue us. He's simply one of the three characters in the story who have the opportunity to display neighborliness as Jesus defines it. The defining character, the one to whom the other three respond by being non-neighbor or neighbor, is the man who fell among thieves. The actual Christ figure in the story, therefore, is yet another loser, yet another down-and-outer, who, just by lying there in his lostness and proximity to death, himethane, practically dead, is the way Jesus describes him, is, in fact, the closest thing to Jesus in the parable. <laughs> I like that. So isn't this a good way also to look at the apostles who abandoned Jesus, who was being given up for dead on the cross? I think you could say you know, that. There's, I, you know, there's also that. If there ever was anybody who fell among thieves, it's the one who was crucified between two of them. Right. You know, I mean, right. there, there's a certain tongue-in-cheekness in this. This is a Luke-only parable. Nobody else has it, so there are no other versions of it floating around. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, most people will identify Augustine. The great St. Augustine identified the Samaritan as Christ. He's the one who rescues us in our death. He brings us to the inn, the church. He nurses our wounds. He heals us, all this stuff. Um, Luther, earlier earlier versions of Luther, uh, Luther preached on this constantly because it came up every year. Uh, early sermons of Luther, um, Christ is the good Samaritan. Later sermons of Luther, sometimes, not always, Christ is the guy in the ditch. Hmm. 
Um, I think in context, to me, it makes more sense that what what Capon says, I think, is right. Because this is a parable about being neighbor. And and so um, the question is, who's going to be neighbor to Christ in the ditch? The nearly dead guy, or as you say, the guy on the cross. And it turns out the guy's got nothing to lose. So St. John is the good Samaritan. He's the only one who <laughs> he sticks is, around. That's right. That's right. And, and, <laughs> and Mary. You know, you look at the follow-through. Which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? And the lawyer says, well, the one who showed him mercy. You know, you can tell he's, like, bored with this. It's yeah. like, really? Uh, and, yeah, and, Je- and Jesus said to him, here's the kicker. You go and do likewise. That's how you inherit eternal life. So he leaves him in the same unsatisfactory place. See, but I think there you can, you can make the case that the Good Samaritan is God in that you're told you go fulfill the law like this is fulfilled here. Or you could really sense. have some fun with it and say, you know, um, the, the, first of all, the, the, at one level, the answer to the question, who's my neighbor, is whomever God places in your path. Right. That's it. Um, now, you may be neighbor to some, and you may not be neighbor to others, and therefore your neighborliness is not going to earn you any points with God, because for as many men in the ditch as you have helped, there have been many more that you have not. Right. You know, so, um, and you can identify Christ with that. You know, Jesus says, you know, well, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, thirsty, you gave me something. As often as you've done these to the least of these, you've done it to me. So there he is to serve. Um, and yet the funny thing is, in his being dead in this world, being, you know, lying in the ditch of the cross, falling among the thieves, he becomes neighbor to us. So I like to look at this with the Lutheran uh, goggles on of the both end. Uh-huh. You know, so are we the priest? Yes. Are we the Levite? Yes. Are we the guy in the ditch? Yes. Are we the Good Samaritan? In Christ, yes. And so there's that. And then, well, who is Christ? Christ is also the priest. He's prophet, priest, and king. He is the keeper of the law. He keeps it perfectly on our behalf, although he is not without compassion. And so, in a sense, he's the priest, but in a sense, he's not. Uh, in the sense, he's the guy in the ditch, but in a sense, he's also the good Samaritan who carries us to a safe place. Yeah, I, I think that I think Augustine takes it too far when he starts to allegorize, you know, the inn is the church. And uh, um, I think that the, 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 the push, the, the tone of the parable is answering the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer in so many words is perfectly love God, perfectly love your neighbor. And by the way, your neighbor is anybody uh, that crosses your path who's in need. So you're, you know, in Lutheran terms, that's the undoable law. That's the law at its worst. And the law says, do it and you'll live. That's the promise of the law. Keep the law, you'll live. Don't do it, you're dead. So I think if you're going to bring Christ in, he doesn't come in the parable. Christ comes as the answer to this parable. Uh he is the one who becomes neighbor to us so that we don't do to inherit eternal life. He wins eternal life for us and we inherit. So for me, when last shot at this, Jesus does, as Capon talks about, being his savior in a way that we don't like. No. He, he, he breaks all the Messiah rules. No, yeah, that's right. He, he does the dead among thieves 
way, whereas we would much prefer the, the high road rather than the ditch. Where we'll call it quits, I guess. 31 minutes and 34 seconds. Well, Basketball Jones on the way out. Nice, you found it. Oh, no.